0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 102 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today you're joining us for another one of our very popular episode formats. We're talking about three micronutrients, their function, symptoms of deficiency, as well as food sources and supplement suggestions for repletion.
2: Yes, we have done a couple of these episodes and they tend to be some of our, like you said, most popular, Becky, which kind of surprises me because they seemingly, you know, we kind of throw them together a little random (laughs) selection of micronutrients and then nerd out on them. But I think that's the why is the whole reason that we run micronutrient assessments in our practice is to really look at upstream medicine and trying to get to Root causes of deficiency trends. So, the more that our listeners can understand the function and the mechanisms of action of the varied specific micronutrients, they can get kind of little turnkey pieces of
1: that puzzle. Yes. So today we'll be talking all about pantothenate, choline, and selenium. So maybe you guys have heard of them. Maybe you haven't. Some of them are a little bit more well-known than others, but we did this back in, let's see, episode 85, episode 72, and then way back in episode five. So if you like the format of today's episode, uh, those episodes are going to be a similar format with different micronutrients of focus. And we've spent time- in those episodes on reasons for deficiency, how we end up micronutrient deficient in the first place. Um, So today we'll kind of skip and breeze over that part and cut to the chase, but I do want to cover just one area that I think is really important to understand when we're talking about micronutrient deficiency. So let's talk about our strategy for repletion when we find trends of deficiency. And first of all, let's talk about why we might decide to go ahead and run a micronutrient panel on a client in the first place, Allie.
2: Totally. And you know, in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, which Mm -hmm. is out. Hey, everyone, everyone run, pause, go get a copy wherever you'd like. Uh Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the places. Uh talk to your local bookstores so that you can come have me speak in your town. Um yeah, and in just two weeks, well, actually this weekend we have or last weekend we had our we always pre-record, so it's kind of a lie. But last weekend we had our book signing in Houston, which I'm sure went just swimmingly. <laughs> yeah, <sure laughs> and um in a couple weekends. Yes, on September 29th, those of you that are in the greater Austin area, will be doing. A, I will be doing a lecture and a book signing at Picnic, a trailer off of uh, South Lamar. So we're going to do from 9 a.m. till 10.30, a little casual meet and greet. I'll be doing a mini lecture at 9.30 a.m. And yeah, come say hi, get some butter coffee and bone broth and free hugs. And I'm happy to sign copies of the book and I will be selling copies there. And then the only other update I'll interrupt with, because that was kind of in my conscious stream of thought with micronutrients because chapter five of my book is Restore Micronutrient Status. So it's definitely a piece of the puzzle. Um, But the only other update is we're also rocking into uh, week four of our virtual ketosis class. Uh, I think that this puts us at week three right now as this goes live. And um, that means that there is one more full week if you want to catch in our – 12-week virtual food is medicine ketosis class uh, that you can still join the active program, and the next class will not start until January. So if you're just new, maybe you've heard me as a guest on a podcast that you listen to regularly and you want to eat up more of what I have to offer, this is the most comprehensive program that I offer as of now, and it's going to take you all the way into the holiday season, into November, so you can feel fly this holiday season and really balanced best version of yourself yes, to end the year think strong. That you've
1: missed everything. If you're three weeks in and, and haven't registered yet, everything is recorded. We do um, our classes, our webinars live, and then we record them. So they're all still available. You can absolutely catch up. We've had plenty of people start halfway through and still have amazing, amazing results. So no worries if you're a little bit late in the game.
2: For sure. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can go to AllieMillerRD.com backslash ketosis hyphen class and grab yourself a spot. So into three micronutrients. So like Becky said, we're talking about B5 or pantothenate, choline, and selenium. And um, you had just asked me about why we may run a yeah. micronutrient so panel. Like,
1: what's the yeah. client look like? What? How did they present, I guess, Who's our typical client that we're going to run one of these panels on? And um, how do you go about deciding to run a micronutrient panel on And um,
2: Yeah, and and the type of panel we run in the first place. Yes. So I like to look at white blood cell proliferation. And this is an assessment done through SpectraCell Labs. I like this because it looks at a longer storage capacity versus a passive metabolite in the body. And it's actually looking at on a cellular level how much of that nutrient is bioavailable or functionally available. So we get both borderline and functional deficiencies on 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. And I like to use this as a generalized health assessment. So I personally run this annually, and I recommend all family members and friends to do the same. So a lot of people that are coming into my practice, uh, this is a great foundational assessment to just kind of start their food as medicine process. It is a great way if someone is taking supplements to use this as an overhaul of a gauge of the absorption and bioavailability of what they are taking. If they still need to be taking this compound, maybe someone heard, again, a podcast and started taking glutathione. And when we look at their antioxidant capacity, that looks stellar, but it's really more of the B vitamin area that they need to focus a little bit deeper on. So we like to look at this as an assessment of your supplement strategy and kind of rehaul what you're taking strategically, maybe remove some things, maybe replace some things. And then we really like to look at this as a trend setter to understand the mechanisms and the function of the body. So if I'm looking at someone that has potentially, um, you know, hair, skin, or nails issues, so more dermatological or structural health concerns, someone that's dealing with vague symptoms like fatigue, headaches, just kind of a generalized pain or cognitive or memory decline, sleep disturbances, mood disturbances. Again, anxiety is definitely correlated or trending with micronutrient um, deficiencies, we can run this as a base assessment and then try to determine more upstream what could be driving these things. And one of my favorite parts about this is that we also get to anticipate symptoms before they're
1: expressed. Yes, I think that's so important. And it helps to tie together like a bunch of random symptoms that we might not necessarily on the surface know the why. And then once we see results in front of us, we can kind of tie it together and correlate with what's going on with our client. And then the other um, area where I generally, you know, I'll know within five minutes of talking to someone um, or hearing their story Okay, they need a micronutrient panel, let's say postpartum and kind of those timestamps of of high demand are also areas when somebody's just gone through something significant, either stress wise or in their body. That's a time where I really feel like it's important to run a panel as well.
2: Yes. So whether we're recovering from a surgery, if we've run a marathon, <laughs> uh, high athlete, you know, athletes and excessive kind of physical output definitely are big people, people that are recovering from an autoimmune flare. Definitely. That's a good kind of recalibration of their system and check in on where they're at. And then pending on certain medications, especially if we've done some weaning, like let's say we've gotten someone off of a PPI like Omeprazole or Protonix. And we want to check in on the status of their B12 and their zinc and their magnesium and calcium. Those are high risk factors of association of deficiency trends with that drug or a statin drug. We might want to check in on someone's CoQ10. So this is another thing we can use as kind of timestamp or transitional phase as we make medication and nutritional shifts with the client to assess a new baseline for them.
1: Awesome. So once we get a client's results back and we'll link to our micronutrient page, you'll be able to see a sample report at least in there. But once we get the results back, let's talk about what we typically see and kind of how we interpret them.
2: Absolutely. So my favorite thing to do, and a lot of practitioners run this panel and just like anything, information is only as sexy as the application and use of it, right? I always love to say like, you know, yeah, you can run 27 labs, but they can just stack up and create a pile of dust on your desk and nothing can come of them. Same thing with this type of a panel. A lot of times what I'll see a practitioner do is they look at everything isolated or kind of disconnected, just like they do with a assessment of a patient with their symptoms. They don't like to see the whole story, if you will. So they might see a deficiency of magnesium and B12 and zinc, and they might give five or six different supplements of isolates to replete those particular nutrients, but not really take the time to understand the why the deficiency is taking place. So, in our prior episodes, we've talked broadly on this, and we kind of just alluded to that in the sense of who are good candidates. But, broad scope, when we're looking at deficiency, we like to assess increased demand. So, yes, that could be carrying a child, that could be over exercising, or just being a high performance athlete. Increased demand could be high stress demand and mental demand. Uh, It could be recovery demand from an injury or something like that. Another reason for deficiency would be inability to absorb or use. So this is a big one that we see with, for instance, like fatty acid insufficiency. So I can't tell you how many people, you know, that I work with that do keto, a high-fat diet, but are still functionally deficient in oleic acid. And then they may also be deficient in vitamin A or K or E or D, other fat-soluble nutrients. So that may be a malabsorption. Maybe they need to take lipase, the enzyme to help to absorb their lipids. Or maybe they need more ox bile to support themselves if they don't have a gallbladder or if they have a sluggish gallbladder and they didn't even know they did. Uh, So there's also the malabsorption or inability to use, which would be more looking at like genetic elements like SNPs. So why someone would potentially be deficient in folate if they have an MTHFR genetic variant and they're supplementing with only folic acid. So they're not getting that methylated form. They're not able to use their their prenatal perhaps. And then the third reason of deficiency, so there's increased demand, inability to absorb or use, and then there is also just inadequate intake. So maybe based on the dietary limitations, they're not taking in the foods that are nutrient-dense sources, and we may need to kind of recalibrate there. So that's the broad spectrum. But then when I'm kind of looking at the picture and I have someone's results in front of me, if I see a big trend of, for instance, B vitamin deficiencies. I'm always going to think of this as the individual that may be having excessive stress. They may not be sleeping well. They may not have reported that they were sleeping poorly, but I can see that they're not well-rested. They're definitely in a chronic fatigue mode. They likely have some issues with methylation, and they are likely a candidate for also adrenal fatigue, especially if I see, for instance, B vitamin depletion as well as serine deficiency because I know that phosphatidylserine, serine would be found in the amino acid or protein bank, but phosphatidylserine aids in the metabolism of cortisol. So as a practitioner, I can right away say, you know what, I'm going to give you adaptogens, adaptogens may not have B vitamins or serine in them, but that's going to address the root. And then I'm going to work with these, a B complex in my line. And I'm going to work with my, uh, you know, um, Calm and Clear, which also has adaptogens and nervines and phosphatidylserine in there. And we're going to work that whole synergy, both the why and the
1: what with your Approach. So cool. And I love how you can kind of knit together this whole story beyond just, oh, you need a B complex because that B complex is only going to get you so far above water. Right. It's not going to get ahead of, you know, the reason, the why in the first place. So I love that. What about like um, trends of antioxidant deficiency, just as another example?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So antioxidant depletion, I always look for, of course, free radical overload. So exposure to toxins. So is this someone that's using toxic household cleaning materials? Is this someone that's working in a toxic environment, like in the cosmetic world or in a building that just had newly placed carpeting? Is this someone that's an over exerciser or a marathon runner, especially a marathon runner that's running outside in a big city where they're taking in a lot of the toxins in their airways and they're getting um, compounded with that oxidative respiration distress from the exercise. So that can drive a lot more free radicals or oxidative damage in the body. And then there's definitely drug pathways. Like I mentioned, the statin drugs can impact CoQ10. We can see uh, in the antioxidant world also low vitamin C, which could be told back to that adrenal fatigue patient. And then for instance, things like selenium which may take me to the next world of minerals. So if I just see selenium and antioxidants, it may not be someone of that world. They might be hypothyroid or have some difficulty converting their T4 into the active T3, which that's a big role of selenium. We'll get there today, guys. Um, but uh, I might look deeper in minerals. So this might be someone that's on a diuretic like hydrochlorothiazide or Lasix. And um, so that diuretic medication is depleting their mineralization in the body. It might be someone that's taking, um, uh, goodness, DMS, D, DSM, DMS. Oh, goodness.
1: DMSO or DMS. It's a chelator.
2: Um, my brain just went.
1: It's either DMSA DMSA or DMSO. <laughs> We're doing great.
2: <laughs> a chelator or they're... Or they're doing, or they're doing a lot of charcoal shots at their juice. Stop, you know, and so they're taking or, or taking activated charcoal because they read about it on a beauty blog. <laughs> so taking it's DMSA, I'm 90% confident. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, if they're taking a chelator as a, a healthful thing, but they're taking it daily versus as a strategy for detox, um, or if they're taking a diuretic, or we tend to see mineral deficiency in general with our soil depletion, uh, even someone that's using high amounts of fibers, like if they're using something... Yeah, psyllium husk products, which are in a lot of like the keto friendly foods that are like bread replacements with egg white. um, That's a big thing that can drive mineral deficiency as well.
1: Awesome. And then what about um, amino acids? That would be maybe a similar, I'm thinking picture of um, an overexerciser or someone who is kind of a, a mega athlete would be the first thing I would think of.
2: Yeah, right. So if we're getting low amino acid, it could be muscle wasting um, or it could be that the individual isn't eating right. enough protein in their diet um, or they're not absorbing enough protein in their diet, especially because glutamine lives in that world. And so we could be a, a candidate with leaky gut. We could have someone that was on a PPI drug and doesn't have enough hydrochloric acid. And remember, hydrochloric acid is essential to activate your uh, protein enzymes. So the enzymes that actually help to activate the breakdown of proteins in the body require ample acidity in the stomach. So definitely could be the malabsorption or inability to break down the protein. Maybe they're not eating enough grams of protein. That's the first line of defense or overexercising and dealing with muscle wasting and not getting ample recovery.
1: Sure. Or um, vegans and vegetarians are some of my favorite populations, especially those who are kind of either on the fence or just wanting to optimize their diet. Either way, I think we ran one of these back when I was dabbling in, was starting to do eggs and we were like, oh my gosh, I wish I had done this like pre, pre, but it was one of the things that, you know, seeing the data on paper of what I was deficient in. And I definitely remember B12 being a big one. And that's, you know, nine times out of 10, if I run this on a vegan and they're not supplementing, I'm going to see that. So that's also a really cool thing to do, whether, you know, wanting to stay in that world or come into the world of, you know, eating animal products that are well-sourced either way. It's super interesting to see what we see with vegans and vegetarians.
2: And any restrictive diet, really, if you've been doing keto carnivore for three months and you're just restricting yourself to animal proteins, I actually have not run many on keto carnivores that I can't make a broad statement like I can with the vegetarian population because I've I've worked with a lot more of those. I think the keto carnivore thing is newer where people are really talking about it and um, starting to delve into this for longer term commitment. So it'd be interesting to really see on on that population what trends we may see.
1: Should we do a self-experiment, Ellie?
2: I don't know. Maybe
1: (laughs) just kidding. Um, And what about um, things like metabolites? So I know we'll get into choline a little bit further um, later on in this episode. But metabolites and and what does that show us about either liver dysfunction or digestive distress?
2: Yeah. So definitely, we're looking at two of the metabolites, inositol and choline, being cousins to B vitamins. So they could be in that same world of generalized stress and fatigue or uh, poor quality sleep. And then we can also see the metabolites being deficient or depleted based on neurological conditions, both inositol and choline play a big role in cellular signaling. So looking at populations that have neurological conditions, uh, individuals that generally speaking don't have enough fat or ample fat metabolism, and that's what takes us to carnitine, which has the highest demand in a ketogenic state, which is where many people really ramp up their keto success when they start to take my boost and burn supplement, which is L-carnitine in a very uh, potent form of two grams a day. Um, And so you're going to get a really hefty punch of that metabolite that drives the fat to be used as fuel source and building ketones, again, versus like taking an exogenous ketone and, and cheating the body of that metabolic process. Awesome.
1: And then I think the most important piece again to reiterate is that, you know, within all of these trends, we will take these and tie them to what's actually going on in our client's body. Absolutely. Um, And then where do we go from there in terms of repletion? Let's just talk kind of general strategy. What happens when we see someone who has multiple functional deficiencies and multiple borderline deficiencies? How do we kind of knit it together and, and choose what interventions are the most poignant for that person? So
2: the first thing I always recommend when people want to start off taking a micronutrient assessment, I I generally ask them if they're taking a good quality multivitamin and uh, it's surprising how many people are not. So I like to just note that first, that all of us, because of having varied reasons of demands or mechanisms of imbalance, and that compounded with soil depletion trends and produce and everything just not being as nourishing as it had been before all the hybridization and kind of uh, single monocropping that we're doing and lack of rotation, even in an organic setting, we're just not getting the nutritional density that we used to from our foods. And we're pairing that with increased demand on an environmental level and a personal stress level than we had seen decades prior. So it's really important that everyone really truly for life, I feel, should be on a good quality multivitamin. And a good quality multivitamin is going to have methylated B vitamins, and it's going to have chelated minerals, which are going to be the most bioavailable blanket of support as an insurance policy for optimal function. So I highly recommend my multi-defense normal one, for most people, and then the multi-defense with iron for women that are actively menstruating or people that have been diagnosed with anemia, of course. Um, So with that being said, I often will actually say, you know what, like, let's just get, if, if you're really curious, we can do a base assessment. That's totally cool. But- generally speaking, let's just try a blanket of a multivitamin for at least three months before we'll assess you. And then we can see a little bit more tailored information with the assumption that you're going to use a multivitamin. If you're someone that's an anti-multivitamin user, then we'd want to assess you without, of course. Um, But you would need to be in the mindset that to get optimal function and get your body to be in The ideal state, we're going to want to look for at least six months of supplementation for those that were seen to be functional or more severe deficiencies, and at least three months for those that were borderline deficiencies. Uh, potentially we'd go higher if there are significant trends within those borderline deficiencies. And for some borderline deficiencies, I won't add, especially like an isolated supplement, if the individual does not express any of those trends and we're able to replete specifically with a lot of food goals. So if, if an individual says, you know what, I see that per our discussion, you know, I'm not experiencing any of those symptoms. I'm not having changes in my skin. I'm not having changes in my sleep. I'm not experiencing hair thinning or early hair graying. I'm not experiencing, you know, peeling in my nails. I see that if I eat more of the cruciferous vegetable family and I switch up my nut and seed game to having more mineral-rich Uh, nuts, which is going to be maybe the Brazil nuts and pepitas instead of the non-organic almonds that I'm having daily, I'm going to start there. And, And usually that's a cool strategic application to use the food as medicine. But we typically, when we're experiencing symptom trends and are seeing a functional deficiency, we always need to bring that nutrient in to get you above water and then maintain the cruise control with the repletion food as medicine goals. And that's what keeps us in that optimal mode.
1: Yes. So when a client comes out of a session reviewing a micronutrient panel, typically they have, you know, between one and six supplements, just kind of generally. And then maybe I would say three. Yeah. 3 to 5 3 to yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh-huh. you're right it's never just one um, no <laughs> and it's kind of this wash of supplements for 6 months and then you slowly kind of strategize them down and then they'll come out with maybe 5 to 6 food goals of like hey i want you to eat half an avocado 5 days out of the week for glutathione and i want you to bring in fatty fish three times a week because you were seen to be low in oleic acid. So really strategic goals in terms of the nutrients of focus as well.
2: Absolutely. And it's all too often that people look at the results and they say, well, I'm eating these things. And it's like, but this is your status while eating these things. So they would be even more severely deficient if you weren't. (laughs) So we need to ramp it up. And where can we ramp it up? And then that's where usually supplementation comes in. Exactly.
1: Okay. So that's kind of the the general speak for today. So let's get into our nutrients of focus. And we'll talk first about pantothenate or B5. So for B5, I always remember this one for some reason. One of the most interesting symptoms of deficiency um, that is seen is burning hands and feet. I don't know why I always remember that. But let's talk first about the function of B5, what it does for us in the body.
2: So uh, pantothenic acid is the, the kind of available form. And yes, vitamin B5, we can call it. And I think it's interesting also to tie in the symptoms with hair and skin. Um, we often think of vitamin biotin, another B vitamin as being the big one that people just take randomly, like from Walgreens, they'll just like be like, oh, I just started taking biotin because my hair was thinning. Um, but remember, like, Pantene? <laughs> what is it? Pro Pantene?
1: Yeah, that's their whole thing. Pantene Pro V. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is.
2: <laughs> so Pantene Pro-V added pantothenic acid to their shampoos and conditioners and that was their big kind of claim to fame. So I think that's interesting too. That's always what I think of with and pantothenic
1: absorbed so, on any yes. level. Topically, I don't know, but I'm the hair
2: shampoo, I don't know how parabens in the shampoo interfere with that. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, so it, is, it is a B vitamin and all B vitamins play a vital role in energy production. And uh, specifically, pantothenate plays a component of coenzyme A, which is involved with the release of energy from all macronutrients, carbs, proteins, and fats, and plays a big role in the synthesis of fats, cholesterol, and that also means then, because of the pregnenolone family, steroid hormones. So B5 plays a huge role with healthy cell membranes in that sense and hormone balance and plays a big role in activating our adrenal glands. So of our adrenal support formula, it is one of the two featured B vitamins that we give a pretty hefty dosage of to help to support those tiny little stress-responding glands, which is one way that it can also help to support in that synergy, again, like we discussed in the beginning, giving that glandular of the adrenal compound with the pantothenic acid would likely help to further accelerate that repletion pattern.
1: Awesome. And then what about some of the common symptoms beyond burning hands and feet and maybe some of the the (laughs) hair and and skin and nails trends? What else might we see if we're deficient in B5?
2: Yeah. So dermatological impact for sure. And even to the level of like slow wound healing. So actual, uh, collagen production and skin function, we can then see, yes, hair loss or hair thinning. We can see issues with appetite regulation, so uh, lack of satiety. So if you're someone that just is never feeling satisfied, B5 might be something that's deficient. And then this may also pair with the symptom of irritability and mental depression. So if we're not feeling happy, obviously, and we're not feeling content mentally, emotionally, that may also lead to that appetite. Dysregulation and indigestion patterns can be seen with the B5 deficiency as well, which can also add that kind of insult to injury within appetite. And then, again, the world of fatigue, we can also see weight gain be that this nutrient plays a big role in the metabolism of our macronutrients and plays a role in that synthesis of our fats and our cholesterol. And uh, we can see an impact as far as immunologically speaking, susceptibility to infection, low stress tolerance, and then physiologically, we can see an increased or rapid heart rate as we can still see fatigue and weakness. So it can be a little bit of a confusing one when we see it to a really functional level because we can get that arrhythmia, but still feeling really low, flat affect, depressed, and weak. Sure. And
1: oftentimes this will be paired with deficiency in other B vitamins, like we said as well. So that will, if anything, exacerbate those symptoms of fatigue and things like that.
2: For sure. For sure. What
1: about foods? Where do we find specifically B5? I know generally speaking for B vitamins, we're looking at mostly animal protein and things like egg yolks. So where are the richest sources of B5 for repletion?
2: So yeah, I would call out egg yolks for sure. And uh, egg yolks are going to be kind of a big hit, especially for our next nutrient, choline. But yogurt is a really good one actually for B5, uh, dairy. So for those people that tolerate dairy, this is a really great food to bring in like a triple cream, high fat, indulgent (laughs) strained yogurt, which is going to be a great way to also, of course, get that probiotic balance, which could help if you're someone that's dealing with the immunological symptoms like the slow wound healing or the susceptibility to virus and infection. That would be a two for one there. And then all of your dark protein, so your poultry like chicken and turkey, quail and other kind of wild game, but getting the darker meats would be best like the thighs And uh, we tend to see a good amount of B5 also in our dark meat, uh, like our red meat family, like our beef, and then our uh, darker or more heme fish, like salmon. And then two vegetables of focus would be broccoli, asparagus, and I'll also throw in there actually mushrooms as a good source of the B5. I
1: you've already got me thinking about recipe applications. I'm thinking chicken thighs, our chicken thighs in the mustard cream sauce would be an amazing example.
2: Yes, from the naturally nourished cookbook for sure. And then, uh, from our effect, it's skinny. And I think also on the blog, we have that baked egg in an avocado, which is such a delicious and beautiful dish to make for like a brunch for friends. The, uh, another breakfast item would be the broccoli cheddar frittata. Cause then you're going to get that dairy, the broccoli and the egg yolk. And, uh, that's also in the naturally nourished food as medicine cookbook.
1: Awesome. I'll link to all those really yummy recipes. And then we also have a smoked salmon dip on the blog that I'm thinking incorporates um, Greek yogurt as well as smoked salmon and herbs. So that would be a good way to hit the yogurt and salmon for B5.
2: For sure. I think all of those are awesome ideas. And then if we are bringing in a supplement, if this is one that's seen to be functionally deficient, we want to look at the form D-calcium pantothenate, uh, which is going to be seen in our naturally nourished complex. Of course, I'm always looking to ensure that we get the most bioavailable forms when I'm selecting formulas and putting them together in my private label. And then that would be the B-complex. So that's going to have also what's next to come, the choline, and then things like your B12, a nature-made folate, which is going to be a bioavailable methylated form of folic acid, and uh, we're going to get uh, biotin and all of those things. So if you're someone that generally is dealing with B deficiency, the B-complex is a very safe way without advanced testing to bring a tool into into the playing field and, and see how your body feels after three to six months of regular use. Then the next world within this B5, as I mentioned, my adrenal support formula has the adrenal glandular, the B5, and then an even heftier dosage of B6. And um, so that really is going to support the rebound of the adrenal gland for someone that's dealing with adrenal fatigue and uh, help with that stress resilience and help with the body's reset of their circadian rhythm. And then if it's someone that's more of the stressed and wired as well as stressed and tired, the calm and clear would be a really great formulation there, which is going to have a good dosage as well of the B5. Uh, So both the adrenal support and calm and clear can be used together or separately. Um, And personally, I take all three. So that just speaks to my increased demand.
1: (laughs) You and I both take all three. And I think that's a question I get actually a lot with clients like, oh my gosh, am I going way overboard on B vitamins? I have it in my common clear and it's in my adrenal support. And you just put me on this B complex and I'm taking a multi. What's your take on that, Allie?
2: Well, I'd first mention, I, have we covered, I think we've covered B6 in a prior episode. Yeah, I believe B6, so. B6 is the one that's going to make your urine yellow. So that is a that is a metabolite of B6. And so I'm I'm never concerned about yellow urine. <laughs> And so, yeah, anytime you take the adrenal support, which has a really hefty dosage of B6, you're going to get bright Gatorade urine, uh, even if you're well hydrated. Um, So that's not that you aren't absorbing. That's actually a metabolite of your absorption and the bioavailability of the nutrient into your cells and then that byproduct of the... uh, passive compound. So, uh, I and B vitamins are very safe at high dosages. Um, are water soluble. I think you mentioned that Becky. So no, I'm not concerned. Often B12 is thrown into people's, like for some reason now general practitioners are running B12 all of a mm-hmm. sudden, um, which that's not looking at intracellular status. It's looking at what's passing through the body. So even someone on a multivitamin uh, could could have a high B12 value. Uh, I do not see any reason for concern for that. And I still would see many of those people that have high B12 in their blood at still a low intracellular level, because that nutrient is maybe not getting into their cells at a high amount. And so it's passing through the bloodstream. Um, So, you know, a serum assessment is very different, which serum assessment is just the total blood serum that's run by your your traditional doctor. That's really not going to be the best marker of B12 status. However, I will say if serum B12 is low, you are definitely low. So if that answers that.
1: Yeah, but if it's high, no concern. I can't tell you how many clients I've had who are, you know, MTHFR SNPs that I have on a relatively high dose of methylated B12. And they go to their GP and the doctor's like, oh, we have to take you off of this. Uh-huh. B12 is in the 5,000s. And it's like, yeah. no, that's just serum. Yeah. Like, yeah. It means nothing. Right. And the one that I do
2: watch out of, of mega dosing, just since we're on the topic uh, in yeah. the B vitamin family, is uh, B6. So vitamin B6, when we go over 200 um, milligrams, and that's a really hefty dosage. So my adrenal support, which is a high dose, has 25 milligrams per tablet. Now, each of those tablets is 1,250% um, of your daily value. So, you know, like a standard multivitamin is going to have less than 5 milligrams, generally speaking. So uh, I do watch to stay under 200 milligrams. Um, so even if you're taking four adrenal supports and Common and Clear and a, a, a you're likely still going to be staying under like 125. When you go over 200 milligrams of B6 specifically, and milligrams, I'm saying, uh, that's where we can see a little bit of neurological impact. And that's the only one that I know of from any clinical research to have an upper toxicity limit. And the published journals look at over 500 milligrams, but I like to be conservative. (laughs) Can you believe it? And I say that we actually want to stay around 200 as a max with supplementation for B6
1: specifically. Sure. So even if you were taking a multi and a B complex and adrenal support and calming. Oh, like I said, mega, mega, mega. Exactly. You still be well within that and totally safe. So I can't wait to refer clients who email me the P question, like why is my P bright yellow? And about the, the B vitamin toxicity question. I can't wait to send them to this episode. Yes. Yes, for sure. Awesome. So next up, and this is one we also consider, like you said, a a B family vitamin or a a B vitamin cousin, I guess. Um, Let's talk about choline. So this is really big one for liver function as well as cognitive function. And I've always learned to look for it in a prenatal vitamin as well. So let's talk about why it's important.
2: Yes. So choline is just as important if not more in neural tube defect than folate is. And so we think of it as a huge important tool. And unfortunately, many prenatals do not include choline in it. Uh, And so I I think that this is a big, big tool. It's, Its main role is with nerve impulse It plays a big role with methylation. It plays a big role with cognitive function. And as I mentioned, brain, um, so neural tube is, you know, really that central nervous system development. And then it regulates our liver function. So it actually can play a role with our alkaline phosphatase. And um, when we see liver enzymes being imbalanced, choline is one of the first things I think of looking at. It's really important to bring this nutrient in more of the active conversation, especially of OBGYNs and whatnot, because many people, I think it's 90 to 95%, especially of pregnant women, there have been studies assessing consume less than um, the average uh, estimated intake. And I think it's over 60% are actually functionally deficient in choline um, because it's just not widely consumed in the American diet. And it definitely, we saw a huge slump of deficiency when we removed eggs from the breakfast table. So when we brought, we took out the yolks. Yeah, man. <laughs> so when we brought breakfast cereal as a healthier option, even oatmeal included within that conversation, right, as a healthier option than eggs, the choline levels in the American population really declined substantially. And again, Super important for that neural tube development, brain development in general. And we're also seeing that women that have a baby, they tend to give their baby all of the choline that they have. Hopefully it's enough so that baby develops appropriately, but that really can contribute to that baby brain or like when people say that they lost part of their their marbles or their brain cells, uh, and it can also increase their risk of gallstones postpartum and their toleration of fat because of that liver function connection.
1: Yeah, so super, super important to look for on a prenatal. Do we want to recommend, Allie, a prenatal that we know of that has choline in it?
2: Sure. So, I mean, there's two that I really like, and I'm thinking we're going to need to eventually start to private label a prenatal because that's a big one. But the two that I recommend in clinic right now, one is by Thorne, and uh, that one I took during my pregnancy. It's three, is it three or six capsules a day? A day. Okay. I think it's just called Thorn Prenatal, but we'll put a link in our show notes. And then um, it has also iodine and really good mineral balance. And then the other one I like is the
1: Designs for Health Prenatal. And that one's six capsules a day. So that one tends to be with clients when I send it to them and they're like, "Uh, I have to take six of these. I've been uh, steering people toward the Thorn. So we'll link to both of those products so y'all can take a look and decide for yourselves how you want to take them. Um, Absolutely, and and just
2: really important beyond again the the prenatal health uh, for mood stability. So I actually use this in my chapter five when I'm talking about micronutrient deficiency, and then I re bring in the conversation of choline in my chapter seven when I'm talking about neurotransmitters because acetylcholine is basically like the signaling of our neurotransmitters. So if choline is deficiency, is, if choline, excuse me, is deficient in the body, even if you have the right balance of our neurotransmitters, they're not able to communicate with each other. So it's like the, the telephone line connection that we see through acetylcholine, and that's where deficiency of choline can drive depression. It can interfere with dopamine expression. It can interfere with serotonin and all of our neurotransmitters in the their balance and how they communicate with each other so
1: super super important for neural tube um, development for pregnancy and postpartum and then for neurotransmitter signaling and communication. Um, any symptoms of deficiency right. you want to add? I feel like we hit most of them, but any um, specific symptoms that you look for for choline deficiency?
2: Yeah, well, and I would just add that you know we always say hindsight is twenty twenty. So if you are a mama that thinks that maybe you didn't have choline in your prenatal, it's not too late to add choline into your child. Uh, So all of our, including our multi, uh, goodness, multi-avail kids includes choline in it as well as a chewable. So when we're talking about these neurotransmitter, neurotransmitters, neural trans- neural uh, we can also think of things like ADHD and um, anxiety and depression and cognitive function. So brain for mama and babe and kiddos in their development and all people. <laughs> so big thing to look for as far as mood and brain. And then I think of choline, like we said, abnormal liver function is a big thing we look at. Uh, muscle aches we didn't mention can be associated as well. And then nerve pain and nerve damage because it plays such a role again, as that
1: conductor in the body. Awesome. And then what about food sources? So we hit egg yolks pretty hard. So eat the yolk guys. What else? Um, where else wait, we find? choline.
2: Yes. Eat the yolk. And people are even shocked, even people within, not often keto, I will say, but the paleo community and people that are doing maybe AIP and things like that. Well, AIP pulls out eggs, um, for at least a component of the diet. Um, but a lot of people are shocked when I'm telling them that I want them to have 16 to 20 egg yolks a week. (laughs) Um, and that's my average intake. I don't know about you, Becky, but, um, I at least hit sixteen, um, and most weeks I hit twenty, and I'm always down to oh, yeah. add a fried egg on that. <laughs> I'm always like, wait, is that an option? Yeah, Let's do. do it I mean, right even, now.
1: <laughs> you know, in keto, when I don't have breakfast because of fast, my lunch ends up being, you know, two over easy eggs. So yes, all about the eggs. <laughs> right. Yes. So egg yolk is where it's
2: at, uh, but even higher, uh, liver. So actually, organ meats and predominantly liver is going to be the best form. So consumption of liver would be really helpful. And then we do see choline for those of you that are a little squeamish of liver and you've already ramped up your egg yolks. If you tolerate legumes, so that could mean peanuts. um, So you could do like our uh, keto peanut butter fudge would be a really awesome one that you're going to get high fat. Help right away with that memory and mood stability with the MCT oil in there and the coconut oil. And um, get a little bit of a nice synergy. And then, other legumes, as long as you're, uh, if you do tolerate beans and you want to incorporate those in your diet, um, we use those pulsed into like our 10 day detox program and um, some of the recipes of my Naturally Nourished Cookbook. You just want to make sure that you do soak the beans. That's going to reduce the phytates or the anti nutrients and enhance the absorption of the nutrients in the food so you'll get more choline and more minerals and b vitamins when you soak the beans and the best brand that already does that for you is eden brand e-d-e-n and we have some of their beans uh canned in our pantry section of our amazon store and that's at
1: ally miller rd on amazon so awesome. i'll make sure i link to our amazon store for those products um, and then in terms of bringing it all together in some meals or snacks i'm thinking those mini meatloaves with bacon and caramelized onions—I think I've been talking about them on like every podcast. But I made that recently, um, and it yeah. incorporates a good hefty amount of liver in there. But you really don't taste it because you're adding in all of these other really yummy savory flavors: some balsamic and reduced tomatoes and caramelized onions, and covering it with bacon. <laughs> They're so so good. Yeah, get liver into folks without even telling them that there's liver in something.
2: Totally. And then I think we link our peanut butter fudge for sure. And then um, I also, with peanut butter and liver, I sent, uh, we're working on uploading a blog that uses, I call it like a peanut butter and jam pate. And it's really yummy. Well, we'll, it'll be coming. So keep an eye out for that. And then our uh, spaghetti squash carbonara would be a good one. And um, in my anti-anxiety diet book, the stress busting steamer, which uses a egg yolk that is whisked into a low heat simmer, full fat coconut milk with cayenne, ashwagandha, and cinnamon. It's a really yummy warming beverage and um, just fantastic.
1: And we also, I'm just thinking, have a kid's version of that. Basically, it's, I think, called the baby lead weaning beverage. beverage Yep, (laughs) baby lead weaning beverage. I'm sure you could speak to its use better than I can, but I know it also has egg yolks in there for choline.
2: Yeah. Yep. So it's a mix of almond milk and full fat coconut milk. And then also same idea. We kind of low heat whisk in the egg yolks to add in that choline for babe. So great option there as well. Very nourishing liquid beverage uh, for if your milk supply is going down and yet you don't want to add in a formula. It's not a formula replacement. It's not a breast milk replacement, but it works really well with weaning um, and as a soothing beverage for babe. So great. Let's link that too. And then supplements on this. uh, We're going to be looking at phosphatidylcholine. This is going to be seen often in like an alpha GPC form. Uh, That's what it'll say on the label. And that is one that can cross the blood brain barrier, having more of a direct impact on our mood and our memory. But if you are someone that is on a uh, drug called Welbutrin, uh, you might want to steer away from that because there can be an impact with dopamine receptors in the brain. So for those individuals, and for that reason, we kept that form out of our B-complex. So our B-complex, we're using the um, choline uh, dehydrogen, dehydrogen citrate. And then in other formulas that incorporate uh, like our multi-defense, we use the choline B- uh, And so both of those are going to be more bioactive forms that don't cross the blood brain barrier. So they don't have an interaction with medication. i like to keep all of my formulas really safe, especially with my anti-anxiety diet book out there, the calm and clear, the adrenal supports and such, you know, to make sure that if you are on a mood stabilizing medication, you can still take my whole product line and not be worried about a drug nutrient interaction.
1: Awesome. And then Digest-Aid would also be a, a consideration if we're seeing choline deficiency For sure. along with like digestive or liver sluggishness or gallbladder dysfunction or other fatty acid Definitely. deficiencies as a trend as well.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, digest is one of the first ones after multi-defense that I bring in to a client when I'm looking at deficiency, especially if, again, in that scenario, they're not Uh, maybe they're eating 80 grams of protein, but they're deficient in two or three amino acids, or maybe they're eating a keto diet and they're eating high fat, but they're still deficient in oleic acid. So I totally agree on that mindset. And um, that's good for someone that's eating a high choline diet and, and not getting that absorption. We need to help them in the breakdown and the emulsification of the fats, which carry that choline into their
1: cells. Awesome. That's a really good point. So even if we don't run a micronutrient test and we come out of this with like two supplements for just about everyone to be taking to make sure we're number one, covering our bases and number two, absorbing and utilizing in a nutrient diet, multi-defense followed by digest aid.
2: Right. And digesting, I love to make the point for people that are like, well, I eat like really strategically clean and I'm getting X, Y, Z foods. And it's like, well, let's make sure you're absorbing them. (laughs) Like, So let's make sure that that $250 weekly grocery bill at Whole Foods is actually getting into your cells and not passing through your body.
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So last one up, let's talk about selenium. So not in the B vitamin family anymore, Um, but this one is huge. We hear about it mostly with thyroid function. Let's talk about what selenium does in the body.
2: So yes, I did kind of foreshadow that it's big thing with thyroid is that it converts the inactive form T4, which is like the storage hormone form, which is the one that's actually produced by the thyroid gland. And there's a small amount of T3 produced by the gland, but selenium is the main mineral that plays that activation from T4 into T3. So if we're looking at someone that has a uh, optimal T4, everything else in their thyroid gland checks out. As far as their TSH, they don't have elevated thyroid peroxidase or binding globulin. We're not showing uh, any symptoms of inflammation in the thyroid gland, but their T3 is low before putting them on Cytomel or like a synthetic T3. Let's work with the minerals that help in that activation and let's work to block the stress. So I would first and foremost be working with selenium rich foods for that individual and it might adapt the gym boost formula, which is going to support that gland before we bring in a medication intervention. So selenium is definitely a best friend to the thyroid because it turns on that active hormone form and it also has antioxidant Function in the body. So it's actually a component of glutathione, which is that grandmama antioxidant. Do you like that, Becky? I've been Changed switching it, it to yeah, grandmama. Yeah, yeah. Noticed
1: that a few I've been doing that. Back. I think that's,
2: awesome. <laughs> that's a, what is it? A matriarch versus patriarch? Yes. Yeah. I'm on um, yeah, man. <laughs> uh huh. Stella likes it too. Set a good example. So yes, it's a component of glutathione, which is the grandmother antioxidant, the highest potent antioxidant that's out there. And uh, this helps playing a role to help with the recycling of the other antioxidants down the line. So whether we're talking about vitamin C or vitamin E both of which that have antioxidant capacity. Our selenium also plays a role in stimulating our lymphocytes. So it's a great defender against cancer. It is a great defender against cardiovascular disease and generalized inflammatory diseases in the body. So it can reduce free radical damage to the system. And we do see some cool studies beyond thyroid gland in eye health. So if we're looking at like cataracts specifically, we see a lot of promising research on optimizing selenium status, um, and then definitely for the immune inflammatory pathways in the body as well.
1: Awesome. And then a ton of other functions in terms of fertility and GI health and, um, mediating inflammation. So kind of the list goes yeah, on. Yeah. I mean,
2: hormone wise, it's important to note that it can play a big role with like distribution of hormone because of its ability to help support detoxification and reduce the free radical damage in the body. So that's likely where it helps with that fertility mechanism. And then when we're looking at like estrogen changes in the body, it can definitely play a role with how estrogen is metabolized and the tissues in which estrogen is deposited. So it can even play a role with like stubborn belly fat, uh, breast tenderness. And then for men, we can see improved sperm maturity and um, also reduction of that excessive estrogen and balancing out in that testosterone. So de- definitely one that plays a role, pretty broad spectrum in our energy, metabolism, kind of vigor, libido world, and and our uh, fertility as well.
1: Awesome, and I think you know this is one of the minerals that we're starting to see more of a more and more of a trend of deficiency on because there's less and less selenium in our soil. So we're seeing more yes. people deficient than ever. We're also seeing more hypothyroidism than ever, and you know, connected or not. I don't know, but.
2: Yeah. And I mean, pairing with that hypothyroidism argument would be the increase of endocrine disrupting compounds, which would be toxins. So that would also deplete selenium being an antioxidant. Right. And so there's both likely that poor soil mineralization, and then the increase of these endocrine disrupting compounds, which are found in our perfumes, our plastics, our pesticides. And those not only interfere with the thyroid gland being an endocrine kind of gland in, in that world, um, but we're also going to get uh, the impact of depletion of that nutrient with that toxicity. So it's kind of a double hit for sure.
1: Good point. I... Wouldn't have put that all together.
2: (laughs) That crazy brain always likes to connect a little... Psycho puzzle. One
1: step further. Oh, <laughs> um, what about uh, common symptoms beyond impaired thyroid function? What are some common symptoms?
2: Oh, one big one that's yeah. um, interesting to know is low red blood cells. And I see this clinically. So for people that have low red blood cells, but their hemoglobin and hematocrit are normalized, the first thing we want to think of is selenium, actually. Um, so it does play a role in red blood cell formation. And there is that connection, of course, with red blood cells and um, iron, like ferritin and thyroid function. So I think definitely definitely some uh, mechanism of action within that world. So watch for that with with blood blood cell health. And then um, other things that we would think of would be uh, poor blood sugar management. Um, So people that have elevated A1Cs and are eating a clean diet and their fasting insulin looks good, uh, we think that the mechanism of selenium is getting the glucose into the muscles um, and or the secondary uh, tissues in the body and um, that glucose metabolism. And that's also maybe why we see uh, sore muscles and um, overall fatigue with low selenium status. Uh, I think that's most of them, the low thyroid and then inflammation and dermatological, just like with the B5, we can see eczema and psoriasis. With uh, the low selenium as well.
1: Awesome. And then food wise, I always think Brazil nuts when I think selenium. So, yeah. Brazil nuts are probably totally. our, our biggest power player. And depending on whether you like them or not. Um. <laughs>
2: yes. And we have to for sure link the um, keto, what is it? The keto granola? Is that what it's called? There's, there's all kinds of
1: nuts and seeds in there. Yeah. Keto granola. Yeah. yeah. So,
2: that's what I'm. That's one of my favorites for sure. So selenium foods, Brazil nuts, cashews, sunflower seeds, all of those, or many of those are in the keto granola. And if not, you can add them and swap them out for others. Um, lower your macadamia nuts, God forbid a little bit. Um, and then we see selenium a lot in our, uh, what do I want to call them? Sea animals. I was going to (laughs) say in our fish and shellfish. Uh, so our tuna oysters, sardines, uh, shrimp. We are going to see them in really most fish in general and then seaweeds. So like the sea snacks would be a great form for selenium and mineral rich, including iodine. So that makes it a double kind of powerhouse for the thyroid. And then, um, we also get a little bit in our liver. We always like to call that to action that liver pretty much will help you yeah. with all nutrients. So everyone just needs to start to just buck up and eat some glands and stop <laughs>
1: being a baby about ourselves it. included. Sometimes i like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. it. Byron was really good at holding me to like the <laughs> liver twice a month kind of thing. And I'm sometimes I'm like really having to force. it. Yeah. Me.
2: Augustus ranch saved my life oh, with yeah. that mountain lion blend. So That's it's so easy now. I'm going to have to try. I'll it. have to bring you some
1: for next time we're in Austin. Awesome. Um, What about, let's just Mm -hmm. touch on this because I know this comes up as a concern uh, when I'm talking about selenium and talking about selenium supplementation with clients. Um, Selenium toxicity, is that a concern?
2: So I would say more so, yes, absolutely, than the B vitamins that we mentioned. Any mineral, I like to be really mindful that we have to always think of like the charge of a mineral. So, you know, is it divalent? How does it interact with other ions in the body? Um, And so with selenium, we can see that there have been some published uh, journals that look at um, toxicity. But this is generally for those that have been exposed to it, like in the agricultural or uh, livestock stock industry, where they were, you know, passed on from it used as a higher level of supplementation. Um, so as far as concern, my higher concern is deficiency than toxicity. Um, but with anything of a mineral that is high, high dose. Now, when we're talking about selenium levels, like for instance, you know, again, we talked about our multi-defense as a baseline level. The selenium in this is 100 micrograms in two tablets, okay? And so there's been studied research upwards of uh, 600 to 800 micrograms that have shown zero adverse health effects at 18 plus months of supplementation and use. Um, but there has been a recommendation to keep that level at less than 500. So, you know, you can kind of choose always as always the doses, what is the phrase? The poison is dependent on the dose. Um, but, uh, it's, it's always something that I'm mindful of as far as minerals is not using a single mineral. So selenium, selenomethionine is one of the higher doses of this. I would really only supplement with the selenomethionine if you know that you are, functionally low? And if so, I would not look longer than six months. Then I would reassess and see where you're at. Um, a chelated form of selenium, which is going to be very bioavailable as well. Like in our multi-defense, we use selenium aspartate. Um, and again, at a safe dosage of 100 micrograms, even if you're getting that in a couple other formulas and you're averaging around 400, that is is kind of stamped governmentally, which is very conservative to be recognized
1: as uh, safe. That's a really good point. I can't tell you how many clients I have with, you know, forms of hypothyroid that have come in like, oh, I take selenium and they're taking all these things in isolated forms. They haven't done any form of actual nutrient testing. So that's a really, really good point because it
2: can't. Right. Because the concern is that the selenium then would interact with or uh, drive deficiency of things like copper, zinc, right? Um, and, And then that can throw a whole gamut of other complications within the body magnesium, yeah. all those things.
1: So important to make sure you, you're working with a practitioner if you're going to go down that rabbit hole of supplementing. Yes, especially
2: your- ortho, yes. molecular therapy or mega dosing, right? So that's the difference of a multivitamin versus, uh, or, you know, we're always going to be really mindful of what we're recommending in synergy to clients versus just, yeah, I heard this on Dr. Oz and now I'm taking 17 different random things and have no idea when I should take them and how they interact with uh-huh. each other. With
1: medications we're on or the gamut of things. Uh, so yeah. Beyond the keto granola and the sea snacks, which we will link to both of those in the show notes. Um, I'm thinking Brazil nut milk. We have a recipe for Brazil nut milk two ways. If you're not someone who's prone to like eat a bunch of Brazil nuts, which we usually prescribe what? Yeah. Two or three a day to replace. Um, Totally. Zillnut milk is kind of a fun one you could use as a base of a smoothie or add some into like a latte or a coffee. We have one that's a vanilla flavor and then one that's a chocolate and maca. So very supportive of health, and really tasty as well.
2: Yeah. So that maca would help as that adaptogen and pituitary gland supporter, which is great for thyroid. And then another synergy recipe I'd call out is the uh, turmeric roasted cashews. So you're going to get the cashews, which are also a great source of the selenium. And then you're getting the turmeric, which is going to give us that high antioxidant focus, which is going to support antioxidant depletion or prevent antioxidant depletion. Uh so that's going to be, be kind of wide spectrum antioxidant and then the specific nutrient supporter as well.
1: Awesome. And then supplementally we said that selenomethionine would be the form and generally speaking multi defense is going to cover our basis for selenium but what if we do see deficiency on a test or um is there a formula you would recommend?
2: Yeah. So if functionally deficient, you could do the uh, selenomethionine, which is by uh, Thorn. You could do that by really any high quality lab. Just make sure you check your dosage. And then the formula that I tend to go to is the thyroid support complex by pure encapsulations, which includes selenomethionine as well. I didn't look up the dosage prior to today's episode, so you'll have to check for yourself, uh, but I do believe um, it's more than 100, um, which is in our multi, and is, I
1: it under 400. micrograms. Okay. I
2: was going to say around yeah. 200. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. Great. Awesome. So we've covered a ton of ground today on micronutrient deficiency. In general, reasons that we might see certain trends of deficiency, which is so interesting and, and such a rabbit hole that I'm sure will continue to go down. We've covered our three micronutrients of focus, our pantothenate, choline, and selenium, food and supplement suggestions, as well as reasons we might be seeing deficiency in the first place. So if this sounds like you guys go and get a micronutrient test, consider going on um, our website and there's a tab of labs where you can purchase a package of the micronutrient panel with either a 15-minute review or a full-on consult to become a client. So if this appeals to you, certainly go there, but always start with food, always start with a good multivitamin, I think is the the rule of thumb from today. Um, And as always, if you love the content that we're bringing us, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences on why you love the podcast. And this will really help us to continue to share our message with everyone who needs to hear it.
2: Absolutely. We so appreciate you taking the moment to do that. And if you are keto curious or at a keto rut, this is last call to grab a spot in my virtual 12-week food as medicine program. So jump on over and do that. And then like Becky said, she'll always put show links over on the podcast tab at Allie Miller RD. Thanks y'all for listening. And if you love it, share your listening to the episode on your social media so friends can listen and check it out as well.